Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're joined by Dr. Brian Walsh, who is a naturopathic physician and really uh, extensively trained in molecular biological pathways. And we're gonna talk about detox today, but before we get into the interview, I wanna give you a little uh, uh, process, not process, but background information. Um, I had done um, three sets of five day water fast and it wasn't until I had listened to some some of uh, Brian's uh, interviews that I realized that the, that is a very powerful detox program, and you've got to be uh, a diligent to pay, take care of special attention if you don't want these um, toxins recirculating in your body. So that's what sparked my interest, and uh, I took his course, and it's just magnificent, and uh, so much so that uh, I'm actually motivated to write a book on detox and really develop the the, probably the best detox program in the world, but that won't be for two years. And that until that time, I don't know of a better program within, than what Dr. Walsh has put together. It is just profoundly terrific. Uh, it really is ideal. And I'm going to be incorporating a lot of his principles into what I'm doing because it's he's just put it all together in a way that's easy to understand, which is really one of his amazing characteristics. It's a, it's a, it's an unusual quality to be able to translate complex biochemical jargon into practical language. And Dr. Walsh has done a, a great job of that. So welcome and thank you for joining us. And please feel free to expand on your background beyond what I did. Listen, I, uh, I appreciate what you said. I'm, I'm really happy to be here um, more so because th this was a topic, and I guess I'll get into this, um, that you have heard about for a long time. I had heard about for a long time. I'll tell you the story of what launched me into this. But it's a, it's a topic that we need to be having different conversations about. Yes. And um, I, I have reached the conclusion, um, and I think you would agree with this, is that uh, previously it was an option. Uh, probably a good idea historically. But in the 21st century, and this is what I'd like to, to, to expand on, is that we really don't have a, a really uh, – a, a, a pragmatic op alternative because we're all being exposed to massive overload of toxic chemicals, upwards of tens of thousands, 80,000 chemicals. And e even if you leave the cleanest lifestyle, you're going to be exposed to them. So you need some regular system to eliminate them from your body unless you want to accumulate damage. Absolutely. And, and you, so, you know, you say living a clean lifestyle, most people that, that comes as a conscious effort later in life, which doesn't, relate to the exposures that they may have had prior to changing to a clean lifestyle. But even then, there's evidence that uh, that this gets passed along from mom to fetus. And so, and there was a really great uh, Canadian uh, publication that was put out that's called Pre-Polluted. Mm -hmm. And it was referring to this very thing that when they study newborns and they look at fetal cord blood or the first bowel movement, that they already, and that's why they called it pre-polluted, have, I don't like the word toxin, but xenobiotics in their systems. So you can decide that you, at, in your 20s, want to live this clean lifestyle and, and be free of toxins, but that doesn't speak to all the things that may have been stored from your life, but even prior to you being born, that these they, they are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. And I agree. I, I don't like the, like the fist waivers and say that, oh, we're all toxic. But the reality is, I think, when you look at the literature, is everybody's exposed. Where you live, how you live, your socioeconomic status may dictate what you're exposed to, but everybody's exposed to something. Yes. And uh, 
you you your entry into this uh, field was really almost uh, that of a skeptic, and you totally. didn't believe that this was a, 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 an effective strategy, and you set out to disprove it. And why don't you discuss your journey and what yeah. uh, you arrived to? Yeah. Well, thanks. So, you know, I have a long history with health. I'm, I'm a naturopathic physician. Um, I was interested in health prior to that, which is what led to that. And I had been familiar with detoxification. I had read all the, the lay people's books on detoxification. I believed that we were toxic. I thought that detoxification was probably a good idea. But then what happened is I was talking to a colleague a little while back, and she was telling me about this, this detoxification guru in the industry and how he was describing phase three detoxification pathways. And we'll talk about the pathways if you want. And it didn't jive with what my understanding of phase three was. And I thought, well, this guy is the guru. So he probably knows, but let me go to the scientific literature and see what really it says about what phase three is. And three things happened. And you know, the, the PubMed rabbit hole, you go on one paper, <laughs> the next thing, so the next thing, so the next thing. The papers later. Yeah, and you're up until two in the morning. Um, so I, so this little journey where it three things happened. Number one is what I realized was that he was not speaking onto what phase three was accurately. And I have a problem with that because in this industry, as you know, functional medicine, nutritional medicine, whatever you want to call it, we need to be accurate with what we're talking about. Um, and he was referring to it wrong. And I thought that was a problem that people need to know what phase three actually is. The second thing that happened was as I was reading, there was another phase of detoxification that I had never heard about. It's called phase zero. And I, you've been doing this longer than I have, but I've been doing this long enough where I've never heard anybody ever refer to phase zero. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If this is another phase of de a legitimate phase of detoxification that's in the scientific literature, how come I've never heard anybody ever refer to this? Because clinically, it might be valuable to know about. And the third thing that really bothered me was I, I read about what's called a biphasic response for nutrients that are commonly used in detoxification programs or formulas. And this, what the biphasic response basically says is, is that a low dose of, you know, choose your, your herb, a low dose stimulates certain detoxification enzymes or pathways, but that a high dose inhibits those very same enzymes. And in English, what this means is, is the amounts that are found in food generally stimulate detoxification enzymes, but the amounts that are found likely in an isolated form in a, in a capsule, in a, in a bottle for, of detoxification product might actually inhibit detoxification. And then I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, here we go again. We think we're doing all these great things, but in fact, we may be doing the exact opposite of what it is that we're intending to do and nobody's questioning this. So those three things happened and I was like, all right, I gotta start from scratch. Yeah. Just wipe out everything I thought I ever knew or been taught about detoxification and go to the scientific literature and say, all right, what really is being talked about and studied? And, and before even getting into detoxification, answering questions that I thought I knew. So are we even toxic in the first place? Everybody says that we are, but I haven't actually looked at the literature. Another one was, is there a synergistic response? Uh, if, there's, if there's multiple exposures simultaneously, we're told that there's a synergistic response. But again, I said, well, what, what does the science really say about this? Another one that we hear about is that the dose doesn't matter. Um, that a low dose that we're exposed to, that our body has these built-in detoxification pathways to deal with these things, 
uh, and that so therefore a low dose is inconsequential say the the detox naysayers out there um, and then another one is are they stored in us you know we're, we're supposedly we're toxic supposedly they're stored supposedly there's a synergistic effect but what does the science say and i went in and the short version is yes we're toxic everybody's exposed yes it's stored yes there's a synergistic effect and no the dose doesn't technically matter because a low dose is just as damaging as a high dose especially with the endocrine disruptors so then my next question of course was well and, and i'll be honest with you this was selfish this was okay mm -hmm. so for this was for me and my family to be honest mm -hmm. with you i had no intentions i mean uh, us first then patients and then sure. you know the public at large it's just like on the airplane, take care of yourself first yeah. before you take care of someone else. You're no else. good to anybody else if you can't take care of yourself and your family. So then I, I said, well, what is, what is the evidence really suggest as the most effective way of, since we are toxic, since it does get stored, and there's plenty of studies to support that, since there's a synergistic effect, since these are damaging, and, and a low dose is just as damaging as a high dose in some cases, how can we effectively get rid of these things out what, what is the most effective detoxification and and you know there's there's foot baths and and, and you know colonics and lemon juice in the morning and, and all these different claims that are made but i that, and that's fine and just because something's not in the scientific literature doesn't mean that it doesn't exist but i wanted to say well what is known or believed about these things and then you know over time created this detoxification program that i'm i'm really quite happy with logically it makes a world of sense uh, I don't think it's as, we like sexy. It's not mm -hmm. as, as sexy as maybe some of these fancy schmancy things with these cute bottles and drink this in the morning and drink this at night or whatever. But it is, in my opinion, if we truly want to detox, if we really want to, then this, this is the type of program I, I believe, and we have some evidence on that will actually do the job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I've looked at a lot of different programs and as I said at the beginning, I, yours is the best I've ever encountered. And, and not because it relies on a large amounts of supplements, it doesn't at all, but yet you're incorporating these massively effective polyphenolics from certain types of vegetables that are probably far more effective than the supplements. So I just love that about your program and we'll discuss the details in a moment. But first I wanted to comment a bit on your process and, and applaud you for doing that and to let everyone know that they can do that also. When I finished my residency training in 19, well, it was my, it actually extended to be year 1984-85, I took a year off and basically did research training and, and used PubMed. But back then, PubMed was a telephone book that you was printed every month to get the most latest, and you have to look them up in the book and then copy that down and then go to the journal stack and then find that article and then copy it. And it would, I mean, it literally take you an hour to find one article. And now with PubMed, anyone, anyone, anyone can go on there. There is no charge. Yep. And you could, and half, what people don't realize if they haven't been on PubMed for a while is that they're almost at least a third to half the articles are free. They're open access. So, <laughs> yeah, so the, you can download the entire article. Now it's clearly the jargon is gonna be, if you haven't had biochemistry or any formal training, it's gonna be a bit of a challenge, but you can look things up and you can get the gist. Absolutely. You can discover this yourself. So I just wanted to have that as important side tangent. And then also emphasize the fact that the biphasic uh, values and the classic example of that would have been curcumin, where in, in high dose, it's really bad in detox and in low dose, like turmeric, good, good, good stuff. So uh, there, there's so many components to your program. One is the, um, 
Let's go into the fasting because this is what really catalyzed my interest in your work. Sure. <clears throat> and you, and I'm actually, I mentioned I'm writing a book. I'm, my next book, well, actually, my next book is Superfuel, which is out in the fall. Uh, and then beyond that, what after that is Keto Fast, which I'm writing with um, the director of the True North Meta, True North, True North Clinic, in, which is the largest fasting clinic in North America. They fasted like 16,000 people, which is a process that you don't disagree with. And Dr. Goldhammer, oh. you would have, would have, uh, a nice conversation. We might have you on for that because you have two divergent opinions and I respect both of your, your work immensely. But uh, anyway, nevertheless, I'm writing that, that book with him and it involves fasting, which has got me on this tangent of doing the, you have, you know, having a little section in the book about detoxification and that little section turned into a chapter. Then I, after, right. after 50 to hundred pages, I realized this is not a chapter. This is a book. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, this needs to get out there for sure. Yeah, so, but let, let me let me just finish my question. I know it's a long ramble, but the 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 question is on the fasting. So you you don't agree with regular fasting? It's you know, it's a point of disagreement between us, but that's fine. There's no problem. Professionals can have disagreements, but you you have this fasting mimicking diet, which is based on Walter Longo's work, which I've interviewed whom I interviewed twice, and it's really magnificent because you're not using his supplement program, which costs one hundred fifty dollars to clinicians or three hundred dollars if you're a patient. But yet you use you use similar macronutrient ratios and calories. So why don't you expand on that and and just describe what it is because it's such a magnificent, innovative approach to this whole process. And I really applaud your effort for it. Yeah. So I, with all due respect, I'm going to disagree somewhat. I I love the concept of fasting. When when you and I chatted that one time, mm -hmm. fasting has a really long history. Um, it, there's, there's, there's innumerable applications for it. The, the more science we do, the more we learn the, the number of benefits that fasting actually does. My issue with it though, is while it has this really long history, we live in a time now that we've never had ever before in, in human history where we're exposed to and store all of these synthetic chemicals. And I personally believe that, so I love the concept of fasting without a doubt. I, I love to fast myself. I feel great, but I don't. Uh, how many think, days? How many days you fast for? Uh, over my lifetime, I mean, I've gone from everything from I, I I did a stint where I would do four days a month for multiple months in a row. Wow, and okay, so you've stuff. been through the ringer. Oh yeah, no, yeah, some, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely. not foreign to the concept because I, I believe that there's more people that have run marathons than did a did a five day water fast in this. Oh that. sure, no, no, fasting is. I just don't think that we're healthy enough to fast anymore. Sure. And there's there's a spectrum of, of healthiness, but it really there's two there's it's twofold. One is and this this gets into the the program and some of the rationale behind it. But in every mammal study that I've ever looked at, when there's calorie significant calorie restriction or fasting, xenobiotic levels go up in the blood. Toxin levels go up in the blood every single time, no matter what mammal is being studied. Which is to say that, A, it is stored, absolutely. If you're not eating, where the heck is it coming from if it's going up in your bloodstream? So if that's the case, so we're flooding our body with these xenobiotics, and then if we are at all nutrient deficient, if we have any deficiencies in the biochemical pathways, any of them, uh, including the detoxification ones, now we're flooding the body with all these toxins, and we're not excreting them. We, we may not be getting rid of them. And there was one interesting paper that looked at yo-yo dieting in mice, and what they found was, is that when they went hypocaloric, their toxin levels went up in their blood. And then when they went hypercaloric, those, those toxins went into different tissues. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and, and the question is, is so we're liberating these things. They're probably stored as a protective mechanism, but now we're liberating them. And if we don't take active principles to, to metabolize the or detoxify them, and then excrete them, actively try to excrete these things, then they're more likely to cause damage elsewhere in the body. So I love fasting. I just don't think that most of us are actually healthy enough to do it anymore. And then getting to what you're talking about, the fasting mimicking diet, I think is just genius. Oh, wait, quite before, before we go on there, because I definitely want sure. to expand the full length on that. Yep. Uh, the, the increase in the toxins when one is fasting or on a, a low calorie diet, is that that's because you're burning fat as a fuel primarily and in the fat are these store toxins. So the, the what goes up is really only fat soluble toxins and the water soluble toxins you sh you're excreting or eliminating hopefully every day or detoxing. Would Generally speaking if it's if it's water soluble it's it's already to be excreted. And so, you know, if you the the, the modes of the, the primary modes of excretion for any water soluble which is you try to turn the fat soluble into the water soluble but urine, you can urinate them out. There's water in poop, so you can poop them out. Uh, you can sweat them out, obviously, which is a great way to get them out. Technically, it comes out in your saliva and even your tears, although you'd have to cry a lot, I think, in order to be able to watch, watch a lot of This Is Us re yeah. uh, reruns to try to cry all those uh, toxins out. But yeah, so those, those can be excreted, assuming somebody is sweating and urinating and doing all these things. Um, yes, but so the fat, so the, 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 process is called lipolysis, which is the, the breakdown of stored fat. And so anything that induces lipolysis is going to mobilize stored toxins. The more lipolysis takes place, i.e. in fasting, for example, or time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, even during exercise, is going to, to mobilize these and increase these levels. All right, so why don't you go into the fasting mimicking diet, which is so, the revision of Walter Long. So, Again, I mean, God bless, what a brilliant concept to be able to come up with this macronutrient ratio consumed in a you know, relatively short period of time that the body still thinks it's fasting. That's brilliant to be able to even to, to conceptualize and to come up with this and to test it how he has is brilliant. My, and it's not an issue with it, but my concern is, is based on the studies that show that during caloric, caloric restriction or fasting that levels go up. If you are not actively trying to support detoxification pathways, then where are those going? Are they getting metabolized? Are they just going through phase one and not phase two, you know, phase three, all these different things. And so now that, that's my only issue with it. So what I did was, in, in, the, in the brilliance that he had to create the macronutrient ratio, was instead of just saying, eat these foods that fit these ratios is to eat foods that according to the literature have been shown to improve certain detoxification pathways or enzymes like glucuronidation or glutathione conjugation. And so, yeah, very heavy in, in the brassica vegetables, for example, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, uh, things like uh, garlic, onions, leeks, chives. So to really focus primarily on those things to really, so no, don't just eat rice and avocado, <laughs> on, on that diet because but so to do that diet because it's brilliant and it's helpful and and the studies on it are compelling but knowing or at least very strongly assuming that toxins are going to go up when you do that is to support the detoxification pathways using those macronutrient ratios that that he came up with to help to to 
mimic the fasting mimicking diet but to support detoxification at the same time yeah and and in those vegetables that you named a good majority of them there's others in, in your work and in your course uh there are probably dozens if not hundreds of phytochemicals and polyphenols and flavones that that support these detox pathways and will help you eliminate those toxins which i couldn't agree more that is the downside and it's a really your brilliant insights into the, the major problem with that is that you're not supporting detox and you're going to run into problems invariably you just you just you can't be so even if you're super hermit it's going to hurt it's going to harm you unless you're addressing that in some some way yeah and i don't like quoting something that i i can't find again and it, this was probably 20 years ago 25 years ago i came across something at the time that i didn't realize how i might use this but it suggested that a, a a rapid fat loss program or diet was actually a carcinogen because of that very reason because if you just flood the body with these things and you're not doing anything about them and then here i am you know 25 years later wishing i could find that that reference that i had found um but but that's compelling and and so here we are trying to lose weight and trying to fast to be healthy but are we are we making ourselves healthier or less healthy because we're we potentially are flooding and interestingly we do have some evidence on this that doing this program that levels do go up if, if people get tested using that that uh, blood chemistry calculator that you're familiar with the prediction of the toxins will go up after this detoxification program if they do the testing shortly afterwards which is it makes sense mm -hmm. but but uh yeah you got you have to work on excretion of some of these things well, before we go into maybe some of the details of the detox pathways, which I think is very intriguing and you pr pr uh, present in a way that's relatively easy to understand because it typically is so confusing and just get your head start spinning and you just uh, check out. But you had mentioned in your work that uh, you're not really a big fan of doing testing for these toxins uh, because invariably there's there's problems with the process because many of them are stored in your in your tissues and, and unavailable for measuring and even if they're high that may be a good thing so if you can expand on that maybe that would sure. help enlighten people in regards to the testing phase in general i love testing i think lab testing is a benefit because it offers more data i think that there's a lot of practitioners nowadays that are too reliant on testing and what is as you know as a practitioner that uh a test should confirm what you think it's going to find based on your your, your medical exam and your history taking and all those and signs and symptoms so i'm not opposed to testing the, my problem with this testing though is again when you look at the literature there's just too many potential false positives and false negatives um, and, and if a, a toxin test is $300 and it has too many variables that can be, so, so let's say you and I both do a test and mine comes back normal and fine. And yours comes back high. Well, to the average person, you'd look at them and be like, well, Nicola, you're toxic and Walsh, you're not. The reality is, is I might have more stored in me that's not being mobilized for a variety of reasons and therefore it has no bearing on my total toxic burden. And you, on the other hand, because you're following a hypocaloric diet or calorie restriction, or maybe you exercise the day before the test or whatever, they're, they're high in your body, but you have relatively lower levels than I do. Well, that, that test doesn't reflect that at all. And therefore I think is a huge waste of money. Um, my problem is, is that they're just, there's too many inaccuracies of this. And here's, here's a great example that, uh, there's a couple smaller studies that were done and they looked at blood urine and uh, sweat in individuals and what they found was is that in the blood and urine a specific xenobiotic or toxin would be negligible non-existent but in sweat it was positive so 
if you did a test of your, a urinary test or a serum blood test, you'd say, well, you're not toxic. You don't have toxins, but it was coming out of the sweat, which indicates that a it's stored for sure. And B that the person does have these toxins stored in them. So, um, Testing is fine. There's a lot of tests that exist. If people want to spend their money on it, sometimes it comes back positive. It's just not as cut and dry as it's high, you're toxic, or it's it's normal and you're not toxic. That doesn't that doesn't indicate that. Okay, so let's step over into the detox pathways, and and it's not that you uh, need to understand this or know this, but it helps in appreciating the value of what you put together. Uh, and you already mentioned phase zero, which most people, I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it was the entrance of the toxins in the cell, but then you really have one, two, and three. Yep. Uh, so it's pretty simple, uh, you know, in one, and I'll let you expand it. But my understanding is one is where it, it, you, the liver makes it available to be water excreted. Then you, then the step that step two is to attach these molecules, conjugation molecules, so it can be water excreted. And then the really important phase is elimination. And you have a lot of the good binders you talk about and, and processes. So why don't we, why don't you start there? Yeah. So well, one thing is it's not the, the liver gets uh, uh, all of the, um, the credit yeah. about <laughs> detoxing. It's, it's, it happens to be a fairly large organ, but the, the intestines have the exact same enzymes. The kidneys have the exact same enzymes. Uh, the testes have the exact same enzymes. These, this is the, the detoxification, and it would make sense, does not just occur in the liver. It occurs that's in a, a number of organs. That's a good point. Good point. Well, it, it, we always think the liver, my liver is toxic. Well, not necessarily. You might be toxic. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, so yeah, the, the way that I, that I uh, pose this is kind of in a, a silly kind of analogy, but I think it helps with people. So, so imagine you're in a room that has two doors. And the first door is phase zero, and somebody walks in through that door. That's a toxin. They come in. And toxins, this is interesting, aren't inherently there, – there's so many that you can't make broad statements about these. But it's not inherently bad. So somebody walks in that first door. That's phase zero. They come into your room. The room's the cell. And then you start berating them. You, you say bad, negative things about them, and you expose things about them that they didn't want anybody to know about. That's phase one. Now, what phase one is in detoxification is it exposes or adds a hydroxyl group uh, and through phase one, and it makes it water soluble. But now you just tore that person apart. They're angry and they start throwing your desk over and throwing your chair and throwing your computer and start, start just wrecking your room. That's the inside of the cell. These are all the parts of the cell that they're now destroying because you made them mad and you made them angry. Essential or water soluble. <clears throat> they're all water soluble, but they're mad. Then phase two is you hand them $1,000. You're like, sorry, I'm sorry, I, I, just, I just chastised you. Here's $1,000. Well, anybody that was mad that gets $1,000 is not going to be mad anymore. That's phase two. That's conjugation. Conjugation is adding something to it. You mentioned this. But uh, a phase, phase two pathways are like methylation. It adds a methyl group to it. Sulfation adds a sulfur group to it. Uh, acetylation adds an acetyl group to it. Amino acid conjugation usually will add glycine to it. Uh, glutathione conjugation, the $1,000 is, is a glutathione molecule. And then glucuronidation is a glucuronide molecule. So now after phase two, it's still water soluble, but now it's not angry. It's not going to cause any damage anymore. But then it's still inside the cell. And this is what's incredibly important. It needs to leave the second door. That second door is phase three. We're inside of the cell. That's fine. But if you block phase three, 
which things like curcumin does, which things mildly, but it does milk thistle. Silymarin is, is a mild phase three inhibitor. If you block phase three and that person who now has $1,000 can't leave, you can take that $1,000 back and now they're angry again. <clears throat> and so there are enzymes inside of a cell that can undo, that's like uh, uh, beta-glucuronidase, can undo that conjugation and now they're angry again and now they cause damage inside of a cell. So a true detoxification program, and, and so whether somebody does mine or not doesn't really matter. What I, <clears throat> I'm an educator at, at heart. I've been, mm -hmm. I, right out of college, I, I, I even taught eighth grade uh, inner city students in Phoenix. I've been, I've been teaching for a long time. And my goal is to educate people. And what, there are three principles that must be in place for it to actually be called a detoxification program. The first one we talked about is mobilization. If you don't, if you're not on a calorie restricted diet, I don't care what detoxification <laughs> supplements you're taking you need to get them out of the cell first. So you have to do, <clears throat> excuse me, calorie restriction, exercise for mobilization, fasting, modify, whatever it is, but you have to mobilize these things first. You have, to, you have to engage lipolysis, step one. Step two, so again, if somebody has a detoxification program that lets you eat whatever you want, but you take these fancy supplements, I'm sorry, but that's probably not a detoxification program. The second thing then is you have to stimulate or, or optimize all of those phases, phase zero, phase one, phase two, and phase three, which we've talked about. I personally don't think there are as many supplements uh, that actually optimize those pathways as we think that they do. I think that there's foods that absolutely do. Uh, in a couple of mouse studies, a couple of different types of tea has been suggested to. Exercise does, by the way. But to optimize those, and then, but here's the deal. If you're not excreting that's great that you're mobilized, and that's great that you're detoxifying these, but if they're not being excreted, then that is not a detoxification program. So those are the three things that are necessary. So just for a quick example, is a juice fast or a juice cleanse, is that a detoxification program? Well, but if, you, if you go through the criteria, step one, is it hypocaloric? Yes. So you're probably mobilizing. Step two, is it optimizing detoxification pathways? It depends what you're juicing. <laughs> There's evidence that things like celery and carrots and apples, things that people mostly juice, actually might inhibit detoxification a little bit. Now, it's dose-dependent, and I'm not going to say that carrots or celery or apples are blocked, but anything that it potentially inhibits that I don't think has a place in the detoxification program. So are you optimizing detoxification pathways? It depends on what you're juicing. And then the third one is, are you excreting? Are you really excreting? If all you're doing... And by the way, juicing usually takes out the fiber. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have fiber, you're not, you're not ex enhancing excretion from the bowels. You're probably drinking extra fluids, so maybe you're urinating. But if you're not sweating, you've totally gotten rid of one of the major routes of excretion. So is a juice fast, therefore, a detoxification program? And I'd say probably not. If you're not actively excreting or trying to excrete and depends on what you're juicing, that, that to me is not, is not truly a detox. It's a mobilization program. But it's not necessarily a detoxification program. Yes, indeed. And uh, so, are you a fan of juicing at all? Are there any circumstances where you'd advise it, or are you more well, of a smoothie, smoothie advocate? Um, we we do more smoothies at my house than we do. We have a juicer, an old one. Um, I'm not against it, but here's my problem, <clears throat> and I think this is—it's uh, probably human nature, I would imagine. Although I definitely in Western countries, is if something's good, then a lot is better. 
-hmm. And juicing, I don't have any inherent problems with, but then people overdo it. And you know, you've seen the studies where mm-hmm. you know people will juice uh, excessive amounts of things like spinach, and they'll develop you know end-stage renal failure, for example. Um, and so, can can you overdo it? Absolutely. It's to me, juicing is medicinal when you yeah. when you really think about it. And so, you know, amino acids are, are have drug-like effects. And and so, if you if you treat it as a medicine. Most people wouldn't overdo a medicine. If you treat it as a medicine, I think that it's probably fine, but within the right context. And 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 then you have to talk about what's actually being juiced and the quantities and you know the lack of fiber. Are you making it up yeah. from somewhere else? Or are you putting the pulp back in? So, I, you know, as with most things, I'm pretty low key. I I don't yeah. have an well, inherent problem with yeah. it. <clears throat> I think most of us would agree that processed foods aren't good. And and sure. I think on the, on the other end, many health advocates don't understand that juicing is processing the food significantly and removing sure. the, maybe one of the most beneficial aspects, which is the fiber. Sure. And, uh, you know, so I've become progressively disenchanted with juicing and I'm far more a larger fan of the smoothies, sure. putting the whole vegetables in there. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, and the, as we mentioned, the fiber is massive and that's really is uh, an important component of your binder program that you have people implement. Uh, and uh, why don't you talk about the binders and then also touch on, you kind of did a bit, but you know, and your strong endorsement and belief that it's, it is, what I would call BF, and I think you agree, beyond foolish to even think about detoxing without the use of an infrared sauna to facilitate the excretion of the toxins through your sweat. Yeah, and, and regarding the sauna, you know what's interesting? I think uh, a couple of years ago, I would have agreed with the, the far infrared. Um, you know, we have a far infrared sauna, and I've, I've sort of retrofitted it with some near infrared bulbs in it, which just took it up so many notches. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you look at when you look at some of these papers, it's mm-hmm. just sweating. <laughs> no, really. In one of the in one of the papers, uh, they just told the, the the participants just to collect your sweat, and they didn't tell them how. And so some people did it during exercise, some people did it during a sauna, and they had xenobiotics in their sweat. And so you know, I also don't like to split hairs too much about things. So if if people want to talk about the different types of sauna, you know, radiant heat versus far infrared versus near infrared, that's totally cool. I, I'm against steam primarily just because of the water source. If it's not filtered purified water, then all that stuff becoming airborne, all the volatile organic chemicals. Um, but to me is just sweat. Now, you're probably gonna sweat more in a sauna. Far infrared sauna seems to have some additional benefits. But but if somebody said, well, I don't have a far infrared sauna, so I'm not gonna detox, I don't care. You know, Heat up your house, do some hot, you know, do something, <laughs> just, just sweat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So and the the binders. So the the binders that that I apply. Well, well before oh, we go, go to the binders, just along, that's a discussion. Uh, and let me just give my my insights on that too. And sure. I I agree. I how could you possibly disagree with what you just said? My fine tuning of that would be that I I really again become progressively disenchanted with far infrared saunas, primarily because not because that they don't work, but they're associated with uh, pretty high electrical fields. EMF, when, sure. when you when you when you use and it's when we say EMFs, there's a lot of low EMF saunas, and even some of the best ones that cost eight thousand dollars, you know, are advertised as low EMF, and they're not. They're they're low magnetic fields, but they're not low electric. And when you use very sophisticated meters, I mean meters that cost thousands of dollars, you'll find you may have up to 80,000 millivolts of electricity in these things. So, I haven't seen a a, a far infrared sauna yet that was electromagnetically free, but the near infrared, the one that you have, and congratulations, that 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 is the the 
in my view, the absolute best. And you can make them pretty expensively yourself. Oh, I mean, there's books on the market for a few hundred bucks. So these far infrared bulbs are just less than ten dollars. You put four of them in there. You got to get containers for them, of course. And you go go up, but you, it get, not only gives you the heat, but you get photobiomodulation from eight hundred to yep. about fifteen hundred nanometers, and you, you're improving your mitochondrial function. So no, it, it took it, our saunas to the next level. It was yeah. it's so my, my wife. We we it's <laughs> we we make a point to try to get in there. It's it's so great yeah, now. I do it every day when I'm home <laughs> yeah. for thirty minutes. So I love it. So uh, so now you can go on to the binders. I just want to get my two cents on the so saunas. the binders. So that's that's the third phase of it again you have to mobilize you have to optimize those those four detoxification pathways which by the way you know diesel exhaust has been shown to inhibit phase zero um concentrated amounts of some citrus fruits inhibits phase zero uh you know so you need to open up door one you need to get phase one and phase two work well you got to open up door three and then what goes out you have to excrete this stuff um you can do it via like i said urine and sweat but uh, I have specific binders that I've included in the program, some with meals and some away from meals. So also with the fasting mimicking diet, as I also utilize time-restricted feeding to try to eat in the smallest window of time to maximize lipolysis, essentially, maximize mobilization. But there was a couple, and, and you know, you read papers sometimes and you just be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I read this and that this occurs. There's a couple papers where they injected a, a toxin or a injected, this is important, they injected a xenobiotic or toxin into mice. It wasn't oral. And then a few hours later, they looked in their gastrointestinal tracts and there was quite a bit, and that's because of phase zero and phase three, incidentally, there was quite a bit of the toxin in their gastrointestinal tract. So if we think about this, if you are in this time-restricted feeding period where you're not eating for you know 16 hours, and you're in the fasted state and you're undergoing lipolysis and you're getting this flood, depending on how toxic you are, of toxins. Well, according to those few papers, those are getting into your gastrointestinal tract on an empty stomach. And so how are you going to excrete those if you're not eating as much bulk or food as you were prior? And so uh, there are some binders that it turns out work better on an empty stomach and then some like fiber that work better with food. But in turn, I, I, have, <laughs> I have a lot of binders that that were covered in the in the in the science too, like zeolite. Mm -hmm. Some people love zeolite. Um, I couldn't find any papers really that substantiated its use, and I'm not saying that that's bad. I didn't include it in my. I use things like cheetahzan and charcoal, for example, um, uh, and, and different types of fibers because there's evidence a modified citrus pectin. There's evidence that it actually decreases or it increases excretion, which is what we're after, of xenobiotics. And but it's critical that somebody not only does that when, you know, fiber while they're eating, but in the fasted state to consume these binders, because according to those papers, if your levels of xenobiotics go up in the blood, some of that is leaking into your gastrointestinal tract. And if you, you don't have the bulk that you'd normally eat in terms of just total calorie content, you're not going to be moving that stuff along as well. So, so yeah, so there's, there's, it's, it is a, that to me is a, a critical piece of this it's not just sweating it's not just drinking enough fluids but they're leaking into your gastrointestinal tract even in the fasted state and you have to bind those things up for excretion and that really is a strong endorsement for your perspective on the fasting mimicking diet as opposed to regular fasting and really one of the weaknesses of, of a true water fast is that you don't have these binders in your stomach and as you said earlier you're definitely going through lipolysis you're excreting these toxins and if you don't have the capacity to 
to bind them in your stool, they're recirculating frequently back into your body, which is not a good thing. So I, 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 I'm coming around to your point of view. And I think that for the vast majority of people, you know, probably upwards of 90%, the fasting mimicking diet with all these cruciferous vegetables and fiber additions is probably the ideal way to engage in the fasting program. Well, again, and with all due respect to him for having created this, I, I feel yeah. like what I've done is taken this brilliant concept and just made it, tweaked it so that it's a mm -hmm. little bit more effective and a little bit better. And quite honestly, if you're and less expensive, out, well, yeah, of course, <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> not of course it is, but, but in, you know, if his, if one's perspective is not that of toxins and it's more of, you know, lifespan and autophagy mm -hmm. and all these benefits of fasting, you wouldn't necessarily think of that. Yeah, but yeah. then when you look at the literature, it's very clear that that, that that happens again in every single mammal study that I've ever looked at, the love, including humans, that levels go up when you fast or you calorie restrict. So to take his idea and say, all right, well, that's great. Let's use those same macronutrient ratios, but apply these vegetables and, and uh, you know, I use sprouted mung beans uh, when applicable um, to, to get the fiber, first of all, but also to get these nutrients that, according to the studies, increases certain uh, detox, specifically phase two detoxification enzymes. Do you? I think you had broccoli sprouts in there too, didn't you? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, sprouts are good. Yeah, and broccoli sprouts have, are loaded with sulforaphane, which is an NRF2 upregulator, which is another magnificent support for detox. Yeah, but again, food-based, which is yes, yes, something. of course. <laughs> I don't know if you've looked into some of the dark side of NRF2, but as as with most things, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Oh, what, and, what, enlighten us with some of the dark sides. That's one of my favorite well, no, things. it's 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 the same it's the same thing with anything. I mean, it's it's like I just said, if a little is good, then more is better, or if a little bit is uh, is bad, then try to reduce the amount. But in reality, it's my, the takeaway is that it seems that stimulating NRF2 and the antioxidant enzymes and the, and the detoxification enzymes it's associated with, th there's just, there's some interesting papers um, on NRF2 and atherosclerosis and, and a couple of other things. But when you do it from a, and, and, and I come to this, listen, you know, back in my, well, right out of college, my supplement cabinet was <laughs> insane. I did what everybody does. You read about a new supplement, you think, well, why am I not taking that? You add that, but you never take one away. So next thing you know, you have 30 bottles of supplements and you're taking all these random things. Well, 30 and would I, be a low number. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure. But, but from food, you can't argue with that. And, and it's, it's hard to overstimulate a pathway with food. And so you're right. And so you, we, we talked that one time and you asked why I didn't have any specific NRF2 activators in there. And I, it's because that it's it, in the foods that I include, that's, that's embedded in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So I'm wondering, we have not had this discussion yet, but and the, the, one of the reasons why I believe that the program we're gonna come up with is really optimized is that it's customized for the individuals. Yours is, is a generic program. It's absolutely. pretty much the same program for everyone, and it can't be because you're not doing any testing and, and for some of the reasons that you mentioned. But I w was wondering about your thoughts about individualizing the program based upon uh, pretty aggressive screens for genetic polymorphisms and the g detox pathways that can recognize specific malfunctions you have because sure. of your, your parents or grandparents. And as a result of those, identify them and, and compensate for them uh, with certain nutrients. And, and then also even perhaps even more importantly is to understand that there's certain nutrient supplements that are commonly regarded as beneficial, like methylfolate, classic for, for detox pathways, but in many people, 
you know, a significant number, maybe 10% of it's, it's a disaster if you go on it. So I, I, I'm thinking that's the next step is to individualize it and have some software program that customizes the recommendations based on your genetics. Yeah. Right. yeah I, if I were to do, to make it more customized, which I thought about doing, um, I would, I'd start with basic blood chemistry testing because mm -hmm. there's some, you can make some inferences into some pretty basic markers as to what may be going on with somebody. So for example, there's some studies that show that GGT, when mm -hmm. it's high normal, may indicate glutathione deficiency, specifically hepatic glutathione deficiency. Um, it can also be slightly elevated. Well, <clears throat> this is the correlate is, it can also be slightly elevated in people that have xenobiotic exposures, but that's, those may be the same thing, that your GGT is high because you have some xenobiotic. Well, there's exposure. another reason. It could be high <laughs> iron, which can actually cause those issues. Sure. It's another, another screen for that. Absolutely. And, and with a good iron studies uh, panel as well, mm -hmm. ferritin, TIBC, mm -hmm. um, you could rule in or rule that out for sure. Um, but so in that case, for example, like, let's say somebody had a high normal GGT. That may be, while doing this program, they might want to add some N-acetylcysteine to try to support glutathione. Uh, on the other hand, if somebody has low normal bilirubin, then they maybe they have excess lipid peroxidation, and maybe that they want to take some things that would mitigate uh, lipid peroxidation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so starting there. Now, with the genetic testing, I like genetic testing. Um, but as with any, I'm not a very uh, early adopter, I will say, with technology <laughs> or much of anything. That's, I'm, I'm conservative in that way, and I'm, I'm happy for it. Well, that's um, not necessarily true, because you're involved in a project with uh, Chris. Um, his last name escapes me. Kelly. Kelly, Chris Kelly, who uh, is a software engineer and, and pretty interested in deep learning and AI technologies. Sure. And you're combining the lab testing to some pretty impressive stuff, which we probably don't have time to go into today. But oh, no, it's unreal. It. Yeah, it's, it, and I know you're impressed as hell with it, and it, it, it takes a lot to impress you. So, so you're I not you're not uh, 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 well to being an early adopter. No, that was just too cool not to be. Um, <laughs> but but in general, so and so you've been around in the business long enough, and you've seen tests come and go. That a test comes out, it's the next big thing, or pathway, you know, vitamin D deficiency, or like you said, MTHFR, or whatever the next big thing is, is, oh, this, you know, the, the, the genome project, that's what that was. We are going to map the human genome and solve all the world's problems, including global warming and deforestation, all at the same time. <laughs> and then they did, and then they found out that it didn't. Well, so then what's next? The microbiome. Well, the genome, that didn't do it, but the microbiome, that's going to be it. And, and really, you know, if history does repeat itself, we keep doing these very things. And new tests have come out, and new supplements have come out, and they are exciting, and then they just disappear because it, they didn't pan out the way people liked. I like genetic testing, but having looked into it pretty deeply um, and, and talked to it as yourself has as well, um, I don't know that we know as much as we think we do in the application. So we can test these things mm -hmm. and take a look at them. But the, but the, the literature that I've looked at uh, is not as robust as I would like in terms of the what to do. So <clears throat> to answer your question in a long-winded way, um, I think something like that totally makes sense. Of course. I mean, if you have somebody that has polymorphisms and SOD, mm -hmm. they, they, they may. The question is, has it expressed itself or has it not? So will they benef benefit from you know supporting SOD pathways? Um, but it's worth a shot. 
And yeah, you've got the complexity of epigenetic influencing the genes too. So you might have some of them turning them on or off. And if you're not integrating that into the evaluation, then you're, you're definitely not getting the full picture. Well, and signs and symptoms in medical history. You know, I just, I had a patient recently that, um, just keep it short, but, but she has, she has POTS and was talking about some of her cognitive issues and how all of her sisters have it and how her and mom has it. For those who don't know, <clears throat> what's POTS? Uh, Postural orthostatic. Yeah, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. She, when she stands up, her heart goes goes way up. And it has so since she was a young girl. Um, but at any rate, so she seems, there seems to be a genetic component to her. So because of that, I think genetic testing could be really helpful with her. But for the average person who you know may feel okay and then does some tests, there was a paper that you probably saw as well that suggested that some of these direct-to-consumer lab tests for, for genetic tests uh, may have a, a significant amount of false positives. Just, I like well, it. The, the accuracy. We actually did an article on it. The accuracy was in question, and uh, yeah. the number of SNPs they test for is relatively small. I mean, I'm looking at working with companies now that test 600,000 SNPs. Well, and then there's the chip. full full genome versus yeah. the SNP, and there's right. there's a there's a lot more to be learned from it. It's initially very cool. I just think we don't know enough to 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 do to know what to do about it. Yeah, is my own humble opinion. Oh, good. Well, yeah, well, your humble opinion is worth a lot. So thank you for your thoughts on that. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, if someone was interested in this program, uh, how, what's the best way to do that? So I did two versions of it. Um, just briefly, they can go to drwalsh.com, just drwalsh.com backslash detox. And so initially I made a, it's a nine hour plus uh, video program like the one that you saw for practitioners and, and it, I went deep into the science you know what what really are cytochrome p450 enzymes and how really do they work for example how do we make how do we make glucuronic acid in the first place to even use it for glucuronidation so deep into the science um, but then there was uh, there were people wanting kind of a watered down version for sort of non-practitioners. So if you go to drwalsh.com backslash detox, there's two links. There's one for practitioners. There's one for non-practitioners. Um, the the non-practitioner one is the one that you saw. It's about four hours. It, it takes it's watered down. It goes into the science a little bit because I I'm an educator and I want to teach people why they're doing something, not just tell them what to do. Um, and if people get the practitioner version though, they get the non-practitioner version for free as well. Perfect. And uh, it, I think it's a few hundred dollars, but it's money well spent if you really want to understand this process. And uh, once you have that foundation, then you can actually do your own independent research on PubMed. But it's a really great start. I know it catalyzed my interest in this whole area. And I greatly appreciate the opportunity to review it uh, and sure. really understand it at a, at a pretty foundational level. So, you know, because I was always confused about detox and just, it, it wasn't, I just thought it something your body did naturally, but didn't understand at the level that you really delved into. I totally felt the same way. You know, and, and if, if there's time, there's, sure. there's, there's one other thing that, um, that I don't know that was in the version that you watched, but it's such an important piece. And, it, and you may appreciate the complexity of this um, because inevitably when you start talking about this, Somebody will raise their hand and they'll say, well, I heard so-and-so say that green tea is good for detox. Mm -hmm. And when you, and this is why I think we don't know as much as we think we do when it comes to what actually supports detoxification is when you look at the research, first of all, was it a cell study? Was it a rodent study or was it a human clinical trial? Um, and this is fascinating. So they mapped the rodent genome as well. And not surprisingly, 
uh, it's suggested that rodents, mice and rats, have more robust detoxification pathways than we do because of where they live and what they eat, that they have to. Mm -hmm. And so if something does well in a mouse study, it doesn't mean that it's gonna do well in us. Another one is how are they measuring detoxification? Most of the time, as you know, it looks at enzyme activity or it looks at what's called mRNA. So it, how much of a cell is making a, a detoxification protein? But there was this really fascinating study, it was an in, in vitro study, that looked at cells and they applied quercetin to it and the mRNA went down for certain detoxification enzymes, which suggests what? That quercetin inhibited detox. It, it, right. But in those same cells, they also added some toxins to it and quercetin increased the toxin excretion. So even though the suggestion was that it inhibited it to some degree, that it still aided in the excretion of this chemical. But I think I know why, you know why? Because it inhibits CD38 and CD38 consumes loads of NAD. So essentially it indirectly right. increases NAD. Sure, that, that yeah. could, could, they didn't talk about it, but that could very well yeah, be. Yeah, that's the mechanism. But you know, and then what's really interesting is there's other papers that show that, a, this is fascinating, certain Detoxification compounds, it just, you know, green tea. I've mentioned that before. Green tea may increase detoxification in liver cells. At the same enzyme will be decreased in kidneys cells. And then the same enzyme in the uh, enterocytes or the, the gut cells is, is no change at all. So is, is a nutrient, and then there's one more fascinating one, is acute versus chronic dosing. And in most studies, as you know, they look at acute dose. So they take a cell, they apply green tea, and then they look to see what those enzymes do. But there was, a, and I forget honestly if it was resveratrol or pomegranate, I think it was pomegranate, but pomegranate acutely inhibited certain detox pathways, but given over a period of two weeks, increased those same pathways. So I was saying all those things together, choose, choose your nutrient of the month and say, is it, does it help with detox? Well, was it done in a cell, in a rodent, or a human clinical trial? Did they look at it with mRNA or enzyme activity? What cell tissue were they looking at, and, and does it have different effects? What dose was it, meaning biphasic effects? Or the last one, was it acute or chronic dose? And so because of all that, you have to be an expert in looking up the research and interpreting the research to say irrefutably that milk thistle is a detoxification nutrient. I can't say that. And, yeah. and because of that, and because of what I've read, and, and you've seen that in the program, I don't have curcumin no, and green no. tea and pomegranate or any of those things because if you really want to detox, you have to mobilize, you have to open up phase zero, one, two, and three, and you have to excrete. And anything that can inhibit any one of those things, I think, doesn't have a place in a detoxification program. Yeah, which is exactly what I stated when we opened it up. I said, there's very few supplements in your program. It's mostly food-based. And how could you possibly, possibly argue with that as being one of the most That's strategically kind of pragmatic, safe, and relatively inexpensive ways to detox? So I'm wondering, uh, you mentioned the, our chronic exposure to these novel chemicals that never existed before and really uh, mitigating the, or, not, or suggesting that we all would benefit from a regular detox. So I'm wondering if you could advise or have a recommendation as to the frequency that most people would benefit. This is, from my perspective, it seems like this is a relatively rational strategy to do once a month, four or five days, once a month. Yes, that's, that's well said. So it kind of depends on where somebody is and, and not, I mean, physically and with regards to health. Um, some people, you know, they probably could use multiple uh, mm -hmm. 
every month doing this. But the reality is, is you know, as, as good as the program is, that some people that have multiple chemical sensitivities might need to modify the program. It's just too much for them. Maybe they need to take more binders. Maybe they need to sit in the sauna at a lower temperature for a longer period of time uh, type of things. Maybe the calorie restriction shouldn't be as restrictive necessarily. Uh, the, the, the program as it's outlined is 10 days, as, as you saw. My recommendation is, is to do the 10 day program. The, the first six days are calorie restriction, but high protein. The last four are that modified fasting mimicking diet. What I recommend to people is to do the full 10 day program one month. And then depending on how they do the next month to do the full 10 day program or just do the, the that four to five day modified mm -hmm. fasting mimicking diet. Yeah. Um, and, and that for people that are relatively healthy, I think is a good way to go. So that's four to five days a month of the fasting mimicking diet portion of it only, all the supplements, all the sauna, all the exercise. Um, but I think that that's a really great way to go. And uh, yeah, for the for a period of, you know, six months or so, doing that once a month is probably not a bad idea for most people because of the accumulation that we have. Yeah, I've forgotten that it was a 10-day program. I was just remembering the last four or five days of it. So that's what I was referring to it. I mentioned that once a month would be a good strategy because it's relatively small component. I mean, it's literally what, 80%, 80, 85% of the month you're not doing it, so. Well, and, and I'll even say this, if people wanna be somewhat aggressive with this, mm -hmm. I say do two of the four day fasting mimicking diets a month. So yeah. do it in, one, in week one of the month and then do another one in week three and then the following month. So you can do two of those a month if you really wanna, it's, it's, <laughs> you mobilize a lot doing that. And yeah, uh, yeah. if somebody so, wanted to be aggressive with it, I'd say you could do two a month. So can you uh, share with us how long you have developed this and, are, and have been using it cl clinically and what are some of the more astonishing uh, anecdotes that you've observed? So that's a really good question. So um, I'm, I'm always developing it. So I don't, so <laughs> it's never just, finished. Well, what's just to say, I, I'm, I'm kind of not. In fact, and I was going to be uh, adding a video to the program and anybody that's purchased it will get an email saying that here's a new video. But um, is there's some really compelling, and here's why, some compelling papers that suggest that a urine pH of 7.5 or above uh, greatly increases the excretion of many, not all, depends on the oh. acidic or alkalinic nature or basic nature of the xenobiotics, but many of them are acidic. And so to, to use a urine, uh, a urinalysis strip, uh, at home and to track their urine and to add sodium bicarbonate during the, the fasting mimicking diet portion uh, until their urine pH is above 7.5 because what we found is in some people this works and their, their level according to the, the blood chemistry calculator their levels the predicted levels go up and in those cases perhaps they have a genetic mutation and they're not excreting these things as well and so to alkalize and i'm not a big fan of the acid acid alkaline thing but it's in the literature that uh alkalizing the urine to above 7.5 uh, or above greatly enhances the excretion of a number of toxins and xenobiotics um, in addition to the fact that like adding uh, n-acetylcysteine to it i don't think would be a bad idea because that's not a pathway but that's supporting glutathione or something like you have to take a load of it, but calcium deglucurate to help augment uh, glucuronidation, for example, in some people might be helpful as well. Um, <clears throat> in terms of stories, I, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I've had people that, I'll, I'll be honest with you, they didn't do real great. And I think that just kind of spoke to the toxicity. It's a healthy program. 
Why would mm -hmm. somebody feel worse? Eating, <laughs> no, really, really eating less calories, sitting in a sauna, doing a little bit of exercise and taking some non-aggressive supplements, a bunch of binders that they're, and, and the food that they're eating is whole food and a lot of vegetables. So, and, and the fact that they feel worse is just, it's an assumption, but an assumption that their levels are going up and then that's causing a problem. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, no, I, you know, I, I don't know in terms of any really, I'm trying to think, that was a good question. Um, a lot of people just feel better. They feel better during, they feel better afterwards. They notice some sensitivities that they might have had afterwards. Um, one of my favorites is uh, a woman said that her husband was nicer. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I don't know that it was actually her husband that was nicer, but maybe it was her uh, yeah, yeah. feeling better. Go. So yeah, so the perception is is everything. So I'm wondering in your uh, alkalinization strategy if uh, you'd uh, consider potassium bicarb instead of sodium bicarb. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I, I like that quite a bit more. But in terms of something that somebody might already have sitting around that yeah. that could use, absolutely, no, absolutely. Uh, I think that would be a better option than sodium bicarbonate. But but sodium bicarbonate, <clears throat> again, trying to do what's evidence-based. Um, mm -hmm. the, the studies you have actually used sodium bicarbonate to alkalize the uh, urine of the people in the study to increase or enhance the excretion. Um, I would assume that it's the alkalization of the when you When you know about the physiology of the kidneys and how the relative pH of the urine actually, and this is, this is an, it's an important piece. The pH of the urine dictates whether a xenobiotic on its way out gets reabsorbed or gets excreted. Wow, that's pretty fundamental. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know what, I went into that, the, the, the details of that process in the, uh, the practitioner version. That, it's an incredibly important piece that we never talk about, that if, if, the acidic, if it's too acidic, you tend to reabsorb the acidic xenobiotics that have been conjugated and are on their way out, but they tend to get reabsorbed. Conversely, the more alkaline it is, you'll tend to reabsorb alkaline xenobiotics, of which I think that there's less of. So uh, at any rate, that the potassium bicarb or the sodium bicarb is a potentially important strategy for people during that fasting mimicking diet portion. Terrific. Well, I can't thank you enough for compiling this and being the perpetual student you are and a, and a really magnificent teacher to explain some complex uh, chemistry and biochemistry uh, and into uh, terms that people can fully understand and appreciate. So your program is outstanding, uh, highly recommended, and the, you can get it at drwalsh.com backslash detox. Unless you're a professional, you don't want to get the professional version. The, the other one is, is fine. It'll give you the basics of pretty much what you need. So uh, thanks again. And anything you'd like to add before you leave? No, I just appreciate it. I, uh, I, I you know, <clears throat> you provide uh, a venue for people to get information out that needs to get out. For Like I said, I'm not saying that my program is the best program ever i am um, well thank you and and as science comes out and, and more comes out then we can probably modify certain things but but the main point is we need to be having because there's so much misinformation out there about detoxification that i believe we need to bring this forward to people so that at the very least we can be having better conversations. so that conventional doctors who generally don't think detox is real or worthy the science says that it is so that they say okay well maybe we should be looking at this and to all the functional medicine or, or alternative to say, maybe we're doing this wrong, that we, ha we know that we should be doing this, but we're not doing it in the best, most effective way possible. So to get this information out to, to a wide audience, I want to thank you for having that platform uh, enabling people to do that. So I appreciate it. Okay, great.
All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch again, and especially as I develop my program to, for the next two years, and we'll, and we'll work, be working together to help create even better ones. So thank you for your inspiration. You really, truly are. Sounds good.